0: morning might want to turn my mic on. Better when it's on. <laughs> now Martin told me that my battery might go out so some of you might like that. <laughs> uh, this morning we're going to be looking at indirect lessons from the Word of God oftentimes when we read through the scriptures we look at the context of what is going on but oftentimes within that we can see other lessons and that's what we're going to do this morning is look at some indirect lessons uh, from the scriptures and we're going to start off by looking at mark I mean Luke 16 beginning in verse 19 of course we all know this as the account of uh, Lazarus and the rich man there are so many lessons that have been preached from this text and there are so many more that we can look at so uh, as we we look at w- what is said here by Christ in dealing with this account there are some other lessons that we can learn uh, from it too because there are so many different uh, ideas and things about religion in the world today um, it it doesn't take long to either talk with someone or to read something uh, on social media about religious views. And unfortunately, over the years, uh, the, the truth, or I should say people, have gotten farther and farther away from the truth because of many different things. Oftentimes, it's just a neglect of God's Word and not wanting to study it. But then there are also those who have different views and these views are expressed or taught. So therefore, people can get away from the Word of God and not even really realize it. Because, you know, one view in the world today is that it really doesn't matter what you do. Whatever you think the Bible says, that's what it says to you. And that's okay. So there are people who will say just whatever you believe is okay, but that's not what the Bible teaches And if we're going to show our love for God, then we need to understand about truth and staying with truth. You know, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, how do we show that love for Christ? By keeping His commandments. So, love is tied into that. People oftentimes, and we see it not only in the religious world, but just in the world in general, when you speak out against something that someone believes in, you automatically hate them you automatically dislike them. And we know that's not really the case, but that is the argument. And we can look at the different issues in the political world and you know all the bickering and fighting that's going on among politicians and those who follow them. We see that when one side says something, the other side takes it, well, just because you disagree, you don't like us or you don't like me. Well, you know, Jesus wasn't very popular either in a lot of ways because he spoke God's truth. Now, when it comes to truth, uh, you know, God's truth, we need to, to realize that God has said what He has said. And we know very well the Bible says not to add to or take away from the Word of God. So we don't have that right. So therefore, we have to make sure that when we read and study, we're reading and studying according to the way God wants us to understand it. And we'll look at a little more of that as we get on into our lesson. But there is a lot of religious error in the world. You can't deny that. You know, the Apostle Paul dealt with it. Jesus dealt with it. All of God's prophets and teachers have dealt with it. And it's no different today. But yet, they stayed the course. They stayed with what God wanted them to preach. You know, many times God told the prophets uh, to the children of Israel to preach certain things. And they had to preach those things, although they were not popular although the people did not want to hear what God had to say. And oftentimes they turned on the prophets and killed them. You know, we see that going way back and it's still today. You know, people end up in situations like that. Um, People fight and, you know, somebody loses their life over something very silly. And we know that that only comes from Satan, that kind of attitude. But as we look at religious error... Religious error can be defined as any departure from God's Word or any attempt to change God's Word. And that's what religious error is. That's why God did not want His Word tampered with. He says, you don't add to it, you don't take away from it. It is perfect the way that it has been revealed. And as God's children, we are to stick with that. We are to not only live by it, but we're also to teach it. We're also to teach others what the truth is. And, of course, as Paul says, we need to do that in love. Um, and many people, and especially say the homosexual issue today, if you just speak out against homosexual uh, or homosexuality, and this is the worldly term, you're homophobic. Why? Just because you disagree with something and all of a sudden you're labeled, well, we know how people can be, and if you stick with God's word, then you're a religious fanatic. Or you're a religious bigot or zealot or anything else you want to, you know, throw in there. That's what people think. They talk about ramming religion down somebody's throat. Well, we don't have that in this country. Yes, we're vocal and we, we teach God's word and we want God to be in our world, in our society. And there are those who do not. So therefore they want to say that we're ramming religion down their throats. Well, as we look at God's word, we can see that we are to stick with god's word and there's a couple of verses that we'll look at just here very shortly that will uh bring that out now, does God want us to follow him yes, he does He has told us in his word as a matter of fact, in acts the seventeenth chapter verse thirty and thirty one it tells us we're to repent God commands every person to repent. Why? Because God wants people to be saved. God doesn't want people to be lost, but He knows that the only way that a person is going to be saved is through obeying and following God's Word. So He wants us to do that. Because when we go away from it, we put our souls in jeopardy. And we can't do that if we won't have eternal life. I don't know about you, but I want to be in eternal life in heaven. And by you being here this morning. I would say you want the same thing. Not only for you, but for your loved ones as well. So therefore, we must make sure that we are sticking with God's Word. As the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, he said something that shows that God anticipated how man would be. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 through 3, Paul wrote, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils speaking lies and hypocrisy having their conscience seared with a hot iron forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which god hath created to be like uh which god hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth so god anticipated Man's going away from the truth. Not only at the time that you know Paul wrote this, but God knew ahead of time. That's like those who say, well, God did not anticipate the rejection of Christ by the Jews, so therefore He came up with the church. Well, we know from Scripture that's totally false because God did anticipate it. He prophesied of it. You know, Isaiah prophesied of it. So God anticipated these things. It really says a lot about a person's thinking when they say, well, God didn't anticipate something, God was caught off guard. Well, doesn't that say God's not a perfect God? That God makes mistakes? Yes, that's what it says. Uh, but that we know that's not the case. But you know, God has not left us without witnesses. If we go to Hebrews the 11th chapter, we find there it talks about a cloud of witnesses. Well, God has left himself witnesses throughout history, and we find it in His word today when it comes to truth. So as we, we're mostly most of us are familiar with um, the account of Lazarus and the rich man. And we know that this deals with the Hadean realm. There are those who have different ideas about the Hadean realm. I've talked with people and uh, communicated with people who have different ideas about what the Hadean realm is, when it started, and is it there today. I actually had one person tell me that after Christ died, that changed Hades. Well, I don't know how, (laughs) but that's the thinking. So, as we look at this account, we see that both Lazarus... And the rich man end up in the Hadean realm. And within this, it tells us that there are, we we always say two parts. I say three parts because there's a great area in between, a great gulf fixed that is there that will not allow crossing over. But we know that you have torments, Tartarus, and also paradise. And that's where these men ended. And that's where all people go. When they die, we go to the Hadean realm, uh, either to torments or to paradise. So we learn that there is a place because a lot of people question well what's going to happen when I die? Where am I going to go when I die?" Now we know the Bible tells us where people go, but there are many people in the world who are asking that question because they don't know the Bible whether they're an atheist or not, they ask that question. Uh, Of course, if you're an atheist, you have to wonder where you're going because there's nothing else, right? But as a person who believes in God, you would ask the question, well, what does God have in store for me? Am I going straight to heaven or am I going to this place or that place? Well, the Bible tells us very plainly, but yet many people reject what is said in the Scripture. So we see that God has not left Himself without witness concerning these things. Now there's one thing I want to start with and there is an idea in the world that when it is all said and done, God is going to save everybody. Doesn't matter what they've done, doesn't matter how they've lived their lives, that they're going to be allowed to spend eternity in heaven. They believe in heaven, but they do not believe in hell. Well, the same book that says heaven exists is the same book that says hell exists. And hell is not a figurative place. It will be a literal place. But this idea oftentimes is called universalism. That way everybody universally will be saved. Now, there are a couple of different types of universalism. You have the Unitarian Universalism, which believes that it doesn't matter what you believe. You can even be an atheist and be a member of a Unitarian Universalist congregation. It's that whatever you want to believe is okay with them. They, and they say, if you go and look it up, you know, and, and I've done that, I've, I've looked up uh different things on them, they say, it doesn't matter. You can believe in God or not. You can believe in hell or not. It doesn't matter. They all come together for, it's more or less along the lines of humanism, but for the good of mankind. And then you have what's called Christian Unitarian uh, Christian universalism, which deals with the belief in God. And they believe many things that the Bible teaches, but yet they don't believe exactly how the Bible teaches. But this universalism, Christian universalism, says that they believe in punishment, but it's going to be a light punishment, but for a temporary time. So as we look at this account here, do we see that? Can that idea be proven by the Scriptures? And that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to prove by the Scriptures whether something's true or not. Well, the idea that all will be saved is not a biblical truth. Now, does God want all people to be saved? Exactly. Well, when we look at Matthew, the 25th chapter, we have Jesus talking about and in, in using the parable of a king separating the goats and the sheep. And that right there tells us there's a separation between two groups. Jesus didn't include them all in one group. He talked about the king separating them. If you have your Bibles and want to follow along, I'll be reading Matthew 25. Verses 33 and 34. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Okay, that tells us a couple of things. It tells us that those who are of God are going to a certain place. We have a place here that's been prepared. What is it? It's the kingdom prepared for those who are righteous. Okay, that's one location. He goes on to say in verse 41 of the same chapter, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Well, there, another place. So if everybody's going to be saved, then they would be in one place. Well, Jesus talks about two different places here. talks about two different groups and the conditions of those places. Now, we know through reading and studying other scriptures that heaven is going to be a wonderful place. It's going to be with God. We're going to be with God and Christ and all of our brothers and sisters who uh, from the past will be there. It is going to be a wonderful place to be. But what about the other place? This is another location. But not only that, what are the conditions? This place, as Jesus says, has been prepared for who? The devil and his angels. Well, that tells us right there that's not a good place. It's not a place I want to be. But he also says it's a place of everlasting fire. Now, the word everlasting is exactly that. It lasts forever. No ending. It doesn't cease. Just like heaven is everlasting. It never ceases. But it's the conditions of those two places that really tell the story. Because in one location, there's going to be eternal condemnation, eternal damnation, eternal pain, suffering weeping and gnashing of teeth. But on the other hand, we've got heaven, which is the great place to be. So Jesus very plainly talks about the two different areas. And also, as John wrote for us in John the fifth chapter, twenty-eight-twenty-nine, we oftentimes go to this pass these passages here dealing with showing the uh the false idea of premillennialism where they're talking about different resurrections at different times and how that John here says that the righteous and the unrighteous will be resurrected together to face judgment. But here John writes, For the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation." Once again, you have two locations and two conditions. Two types of people. Those that are going to be resurrected unto life everlasting and those that are going to be resurrected unto damnation. Two different areas. Two different locations. So the idea of everyone being saved is not a biblical truth. The Scriptures prove it. Although... This account here does not go into that specifically. We can learn that from this lesson. The idea that this punishment is going to be temporary, we've seen that that's not the case because Jesus talks about everlasting. Also, the idea of light punishment. Well, we never read anywhere in Scripture where it talks about light punishment. It talks about the opposite. As we read in Matthew 25, 41, everlasting fire. And see, that's a problem that some people have. They can't believe that a loving God is going to put a person in that kind of situation for eternity. But whenever I hear that, whenever I think about that, I always think about what Solomon says. Lean not toward thine own understanding." There are a lot of things that we don't really understand. And one thing is is God's existence. We don't understand God's existence. But yet, I'm not going to lean on my understanding saying, well, I, I don't know how God exists, so therefore He doesn't exist. And that's the rationale a lot of people have. But also, this fire, when he talks about everlasting fire that's a punishment now what kind of fire it's going to be we don't really know that's like when the bible talks about this earth being destroyed by fire we know it has to be a different type of heat rather than the fire we you know see in a bonfire or a house burning or whatever because that heat is not hot enough to destroy the earth but yet god puts it in a term that we can understand so the earth will be destroyed by fire, but it'll be a different type of fire than we're used to. So, as we look at the the rich man, I mean the rich man here, he said he was in torments. Now it doesn't say that he was on fire as from, like you set something on fire, but what have you ever? And I know you have. When you have a fever, you're hot on the inside. But it's a different, you say, man, I'm on fire. Well, we know it's not literal fire, but yet you're still hot, you're still burning. So we see that it's not a light punishment. It's everlasting. And this phrase, weeping and gnashing of teeth, is used six times in one area, dealing with the type of punishment that is reflected on eternal hell. Now, another thing that we can look at as far as an erroneous view is that of purgatory. Now, some of you may understand about purgatory, some of you may not. Most of the time, our idea of purgatory or what we've been told is that when people die, that they go to an area, but yet they can be prayed out of that area or money given to the church that will make them, uh, I guess, righteous. But for those who have never heard of it, or to make it a little bit clearer, I thought I would write down exactly what the Catholic Church says it is. This is from their writings. And it actually, I learned a little bit from this because I was looking more or less along the lines of what I just explained. But they said, and this has to do with the Catechism of the Catholic Church, uh, defines purgatory as a purification, so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven, which is experienced by those who die in God's grace and friendship, but still imperfectly purified. And that comes from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. I guess it's page 1030. Uh, it notes that this punishment of the elect is entirely different from the punishment of the damned page 1031 the purification is necessary because as scripture teaches nothing unclean will enter the presence of god in heaven and they reference revelation 21:27 and while we may die with our mortal sins forgiven there can still be many impurities in us, specifically venial or light sins, and the temporal punishment due to sins already forgiven. They have on their page this question. Why would anyone go to purgatory? To be cleansed from nothing unclean, uh, to be cleansed, for nothing unclean shall enter into heaven, as they've already stated. Uh, anyone who hasn't... Uh, been completely freed from sin, and its effects is, to some extent, unclean. Through repentance, he may have gained the grace needed to be worthy of heaven, which is to say he has been forgiven and his soul is spiritually alive. But that's not sufficient for gaining entrance into heaven. He needs to be cleansed completely. So, you can see how people have different views of what the Bible says. But we know that what has been said here does not harmonize with the Scriptures. Well, as we look at Luke 16, we don't see anything about purification there. We see the rich man in torments, but we see nothing about purification. Nothing is said about purification. And this idea is also contradictory to what John says in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. If you want to turn there, I know that many of us have looked at this uh, a number of times and are very familiar with what it says, but... There are some things here that John writes that are very important. He says, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, where do we read anywhere in here that this cleansing is only partial and not 100% complete? We don't. John says that the blood cleanses us from all sin. Now, where do we read anywhere in the Bible where that's not complete? We don't. It is complete. When we are forgiven by God, we are forgiven. There is no middle ground. There's no gray area. You're either forgiven or you're not. And, of course, we know that he is talking to the church here, talking to those who are members of the body of Christ And notice what he says, as long as we walk in the light, that blood continually cleanses us. We don't have to die and go somewhere else to be further cleansed. Does this account in Luke say anything about Lazarus having to go to another place and be cleansed? Where did he go? He he went into the bosom of Abraham. He went into paradise. If this is true then why weren't the two together? Because Lazarus wasn't perfect. And according to this belief, nobody's perfect. So why was there a separation from the rich man and from Lazarus? It's because there are two areas in Hades where people go. And once you go there, that's where you stay. You do not come back out as... uh, Abraham says there's a great gulf fixed, and you can't cross over. It is separated by that gulf, and that's where people will stay until judgment day comes. And as God prophesied about the coming of the New Testament, the new law, the covenant of Christ, He made a statement, and it's recorded for us by the Hebrews writer, In Hebrews 10, 17. And it talks about that God will not remember our sins anymore. In other words, when we're forgiven, we're forgiven. God does not have a remembrance of that. How can God just forgive us partially? He doesn't. When we're forgiven, that blood of Christ cleanses us. It cleanses us. Now, can we sin again? Absolutely. But, as John says here in verse 9, that God is faithful. He says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all unrighteousness. And that's why we're living. So there's no, this idea of leaving this world and go into another area to be purified and cleansed so we can get to heaven is of man and not God. And then the last point I want to make very quickly. And I've dealt with this uh, with people as I've talked with them. And it's a good question. It's a good, I want to say, I guess wonderment (laughs) in a sense. But when we die, do we go straight to heaven or not? It is taught by many and believed by many that we go straight to heaven. Well, there's only a couple of verses that mention something about that, and to take them out of context, you could say, well, yes, a person goes straight to heaven." And I had someone bring up to me the the fact of uh the Bible talks about Paul when Paul talked about it's better when remember when Paul was talking about he he was between a twig uh, between the idea of staying here. Are going on and being with Christ? Some have taken that statement to mean that as soon as Paul died, he went to be with Christ. Well, that's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about going into that spiritual realm, that Hadean realm. That's what he's talking about. And in a sense, wouldn't Christ be there too? In 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 a sense. Although the Bible does not say that Christ is in uh, Hades now, but what about influence what about that? But the idea that a person dies and, and goes straight to heaven, the Bible does not bear that out. It bears out the fact that we go to the Hadean realm. And that's where all human, uh, all people will stay until Judgment Day, whether in torments or whether in paradise. So these are some things that we can learn from this uh, account of Lazarus and the rich man that are not necessarily stated within the lesson. But once again, this is what I would refer to as an indirect lesson from the text. So, as we see what the world believes, oftentimes as compared to what the scriptures teach, we need to understand that there is a big difference. But we should always go to God's Word to find the truth and to study it with all diligence to find out what the truth is. Because do you really want to wait to get to Judgment Day to find out that you were lazy and you just didn't really care and you should have checked on something or you should have done this and it didn't happen? But as we see here, that not all people will be saved. There are those that will be lost. And that's a sad situation. And there's no such place where a person can go to be purified after they leave this world in order to enter heaven. And the fact that we will end up in the Hadean realm unless God comes back and destroys the world while we are alive. So these are some indirect lessons that we can learn. But when it also comes to doctrine and what is true and what is not, the majority of the world does not teach the gospel the gospel plan of salvation. They have different beliefs and different ideas. But it is important for us to understand that the Bible does teach what it takes to become a Christian, what it takes to have eternal salvation. God has put it in His Word. It's not difficult to understand. And we know that, as Paul says, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. That's where it starts You know, some people really never have read the Bible and then they sit down and they start reading and then their, you know, faith grows from there. But without that faith, a person's not going to do anything, not in accordance to God's will anyway. And then, of course, we know the Bible tells us that we must believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. A lot of people don't believe that. They believe that there's a historical person Named Jesus that lived in this world, but he's not the Son of God. But Jesus said, Except you believe that I am He, you shall die in your sins. Saying very plain, that's there's no getting around that. And then of course, as I mentioned earlier about Acts 17 and 30 and 31, where God commands all men to repent. And we know Jesus said the same thing in Luke three, verses three and verses five. And then a person must confess Christ, as Paul said, with the mouth. Confess Christ publicly. And then we know that the Bible says a person has to be baptized for the remission of their sins, because that's a requirement. A lot of people don't like the idea of uh of saying it's a step. Uh, I saw where a person was objecting to the illustration that has been used for years and years about the stairs, the steps. He didn't he didn't like that although he believed in what we were to do, but isn't that what we're supposed to do? Those requirements lead us to that point. You can't get around that, being baptized for the remission of sins. That's what it takes to become a Christian. If you're here this morning you have not done that, you have not obeyed God. And God wants you to obey Him. As a child of God, if you need to come forward this morning knowing that something in your life in a public way is not right, then you know you need to correct that. But we pray that you'll come as we stand and sing.